Monday. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. This is released on Thursday. Thursday, I, Thursday, Thursday. Yeah, but we record on a Monday most of the time. That's true. There's that. It, it, it's, but if you tell them, something bad will happen. No, no. It's we're like just, we're dating I'm, our I'm content. led to believe. I'm reminiscent of when... Exactly. We're not really dating. We're four day, days behind. Oh. We're dating me, three our content. Behind. Sometimes four it, days, It though. leads me to believe... Um, Sometimes two. It reminds me, rather, of when Paul F. Tompkins started his podcast, he used to say, good evening, everyone, at the start of his podcast, and people would give him crap, like, well, I'm not listening to it at night. So then he started introducing the podcast, it's nighttime on the internet. Welcome to the Paul F. Tompkins podcast. Nighttime on the internet. Yes. It's nighttime somewhere. Yeah. That's true. It's always nighttime somewhere. That's true, because the earth is round and not three-sided. Wait, no, that still wouldn't... What? First of all, what? What? I... that would make us a... It... Like triangle. No, there's no such thing as a three-sided, three-dimensional shape without any curves. I mean, you still have to put curves in there, and that was still unless we were a giant floating pyramid. No, that's still four sides, right? That, that's still four. No, it's five or mo- sides or more, depending. A pyramid upon is five sides. A classical <laughs> pyramid is four triangles and a square. Oh yeah, that's true. The smallest. Deca- still call them sides uh, though. Uh, dodecahedron it's is still four-sided see. with four triangles. The D4 in nerd terms. Right. That is the smallest three-dimensional space that contains a, flat surfaces. I don't think Matt's appreciating any of this right now. And he's a nerd, so he should. He should. You yeah. say that like you're both not nerds. No, I'm saying you should because we do appreciate No, we're just delineating our brands right now. That's all. Everyone's a different kind of nerd. Everyone's a Like Steve's power. a train nerd. And a word nerd because I didn't quite catch delineating. And a geography nerd. Do you know the capital of Kazakhstan is Astana? Now I do, I guess, until I forget it. All right, good. Wait, was this, wait, which one's Kazakhstan? That's the big one. Okay. No, I do know how that thing is made up, but that's the, no, that term. a big one. Yeah, it's a big stand. You stop learning about it's history and geography. We in, call them big stand. You don't buy every night. At like 1975 and stuff like that that's before the fall of the Soviet Union because they kind of just go oh the Soviet Union fell in the 90s and then all of a sudden there was peace on earth and they were wrong but that's besides the point no in that case it's a fair, it's a fair question because when they lost the big stand they lost the biggest part of the former mother Russia well and, and the, they lost Ukraine which was another big chunk yeah that was, no, that was a huge Kazakhstan well as a single unit it is it's bigger no Kazakhstan is huge yeah but like three times Ukraine I've seen maps. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm going to be looking this up on Wikipedia while Matt goes into whatever announcements we have. Matt? Um, I don't really have anything this week. Um, keep checking back at autographs. Um, by now, um, the newest one should be YT Cracker. Um, I believe, anyway. And so, please go check that out. Um, of course, keep writing reviews for us. Check out the article that Steve posted um, pointing towards NPR's quest to find the next podcast and other pad- podcast tool talk about and submit your favorite content from ours or from autographs either or or both op, uh, optimally this is not good announcement <laughs> this is the same old stuff all right 
Sometimes fine. you have this to remind your, our audience. There's a chance everyone to dig an, us out of this hole. Everyone's had an intense Passover. It's over by now. They're breadless and then getting back into their gluten goodness. You know what? You're, Steve was right. I just have to bring this up. Steve is, in fact, right. And it's because yeah, of I the, knew I was right. Well, it's a classical curve of how uh, Eurocentric world views itself that Kazakhstan looks a lot smaller than you'd actually think it is. Like when you see maps. So when I said it was the big stand, that meant nothing at all. Well, there's a lot of stands out there and have been over the years, ever since the Eastern Bloc fell. Let's rewind and reiterate, geography nerd. (laughs) They don't need to rewind. You just repeated it. Unless I edit that back in. Please don't. uh, Possibilities come to life. We should be silent so he has to put in another cricket. There's a very interesting website called MapFight. <laughs> we haven't had crickets in ages. No, anyway. it's, it's all about different sizes of places John to one doesn't another. Like this is awesome. I have to... I have to bookmark that it's site? It's getting book, bookmarked right now. All right. Well, since a segue is not being made apparent, I will just move on to today's album. Um, Sufjan Stevens, an artist that I've often mentioned on the podcast, though perhaps sadly only in context of a common thread, that being his associated act with two artists we reviewed in the podcast and who I hold in pretty high esteem, them being Shower Warden of My Brightest Diamond and Annie Clark of St. Vincent, episodes 111 and 86 respectively. So apparently, about a decade ago, both of these women were formerly part of Sufjan Stevens' troupe, a large ensemble, many instrumentalists, many backup singers, And even though Sufjan himself is a multi-instrumentalist and multi-tracks many instruments on his albums himself, for the sake of the tour at least, uh, from what I gather he does port out the work to other talents. And I found that he associates himself with pretty incredible talents, be that for his ear for quality auditions, or perhaps chance, or perhaps like the great adage, great minds think alike. Anyway, he founded his own label called Asthmatic Kitty, which at least My Brightest Diamond is under and signed to. Now, as to his own work, it's a little more vague and difficult to pin down than I think My Brightest Diamond or St. Vincent. For one, he's been at it longer, and he's gone through several phases. His earlier work was more of a lo-fi, sort of a folk sound. That's what you get on and out, his early album Seven Swans. And he also dabbled with electronica. And then finally, when he was very acclaimed, uh, what he was acclaimed for, that is, is, was his very lush, symphonic, all-encompassing orchestral style epitomized, I would say, probably by Illinois, his 2005 album, which was part of a gimmick where he was supposed to do an album for every U.S. state, and he got about as far as Illinois and Michigan. So it was kind of a lark to begin with. But out of that, we did get uh, Illinois, which is, in my opinion, an out-and-out masterpiece. I also love the fact that he favored absurdly long track titles, such as A Short Reprise for Mary Todd, who went insane, but for very good reasons. Or a conjunction of drones, simulating the way in which Sufjan Stevens has an existential crisis in the great Godfrey maze. Fun guy. I kind of latched onto that album, but I always tiptoed around his other work. There are times that I think that he's sort of on another plane, like not in terms of musical complexity necessarily, but like in vagaries. The fact that he's channeling a mood that's so personal, you need to kind of be in the right mindset to go forward. Uh, A couple other things about him. Though you will probably see why there's an inherent faux pas in me mentioning this, but especially for today's album, it should be noted that there's a lot of spiritual illusions in his work. I believe he's a practicing Christian. I don't know what denomination, but at times I'm sure the Christian community would have loved to have labeled him a contemporary Christian music artist, but they can't have him, because according to an interview he gave to The Village Voice, 
He says that I don't think music media is the real forum for theological discussions. I think I've said things and sung about things that probably weren't appropriate for this kind of forum, and I just don't feel like it's my place or my work to be making claims and statements, because I often think it's misunderstood. I've always respected that outlook, especially considering what we do, it's very easy to get like, this runaway notion about something, but I think that having a reference point has always enhanced, having that reference point particularly has always enhanced his already heaping palette of imagery. And that brings us to the present. Let's get the common knowledge stuff out of the way. Today's album, Carrie and Lowell, as any quick Google search will tell you, is a direct epitaph to the 2012 death of his mother, Carrie, from stomach cancer. So considering that there's a loss here, no trace of the vastness that was Illinois can really be heard on this album. With respect to his discography, this is unquestionably his thinnest sound yet. Uh, he was aiming to bring forth that loss on this album, and I think through that, that gap, through that sparseness, he definitely succeeded. Even like a five-second sample of this album would probably exemplify that goal, at least. But we'll be looking at a lot of things here. Also, just for reference, Lowell would be his stepfather and co-founder of his label, Asthmatic Kitty. So, with that, I think we'll dive right in. The Shall first we? track is Death with Dignity, which, in title alone, is a powerful statement to make. Um, the idea of dying with dignity, which not a lot of people do. Some people are very scared when they're going, mm -hmm. you know, because it's said, and I obviously have no personal experience, cause, as I am still alive, but I'm told that a lot of people have stated that when they're getting close to that time, they know it's coming, they can feel it, they know... That at that end, yeah. for for whatever reason, you just know. Um, well, obviously, considering this is looking at cancer, I mean, the 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 what we're led to believe is that she and he and everyone around them had known for quite some time. Yeah. So th this album and track starts with a uh, finger picking guitar into intro, very folk sounding, kind of sweet. You know, uh, it is instantly eases you. Yeah, it, it, it's instantly a. I want to say pseudo iconic part of early folk, um, early folk indie. That is, it's it's a great way to begin something, especially if he knows he's going to be building into tragedy. Um, the whole thing is he doesn't really give you a chance to build into tragedy. Almost right away, just the the melancholy that's just it's it's pervasive in this track. Well. See, that's not exactly what I thought. I didn't think the melancholy was, was pervasive right up front. I actually thought that it was really more painting the emotional center between him and his mother. And I frankly, I thought it was very, very sweet. Like, on one hand, I, I gotta confess, I kind of wanted to, I guess, show you guys, seeing as this is my pick of the week, I, I wanted to show you more of his symphonic side. I had no idea what to expect, and I picked it last week because, well... This actually, as at the moment I announced it, it was going to be released the very next day. So then we spent a week with it, and I was a little surprised. It was very lo-fi, very folk, and it's been credited as going back to his earlier work. But, you know, we've had a lot of folk in our podcast compendium. So I guess as far as giving you something new, that wasn't so much of a success. But that reticence after a first few bars here almost immediately gave way to tears on this opening track. And it set a pretty crazy standard for this album, I think, for me, just in terms of melodic value. It's very simple. It's true. It's just this simple, like, 4-4 four, four, uh, banjo groove. Banjo should be also mentioned as one of his primary instruments amongst many. So I guess you really can't say primary. 
but it's just the simple banjo groove centering around E minor, lots of vague suspensions and major sevenths, great harmonies, very dense harmonies. But it's, it's, it's his vocals and specifically the melody there that really carried this forward and I think pushed it well and above even my experience with the very lighthearted, but with that melancholy touch for sure, uh, lighthearted folk. You know, it's, it's, it's sparse. At the same time, it, it packs an emotional punch. Yes. Well, it's instantly sweet, but then followed by a distinct coldness. Even though the song has this bittersweet sound once you run into the lyrics and actually listen to what he's saying mm-hmm. you get an awareness for what he's singing about and how personal this is and it instantly chills the track because you you it's putting you in his shoes yeah let's um let's actually read a few lyrics and then d- dive back into music because obviously since you you can't really again go into this album without knowing that right up front that it's uh about the death of his mother let's let's address some of that Spirit of my silence, I can hear you, but I'm afraid to be near you, and I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to begin. Somewhere in the desert there's a forest, and an acre before us, but I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to begin. Now, specifically in that I'm afraid to be near you, I don't know where to begin, like, this is kind of contrasting the points that, like, John mentioned before, like, it doesn't really give you a time to, like, sit in, in, in the tragedy. In a sense, I feel like this is in that most immediate wake of the moment, that it tries to sort of capture on the music front, you know, in the lighthearted banjo ditty, it tries to capture like this, this, um, the cheerful times, as it were. But then the lyrics really pack the punch of being at a loss for words because he himself is dealing with the loss. When you combine that with the, the doubling vocals, yeah, that's a point that should, that I was gonna slingshot back to. It's it does come across for me as while uplifting, and his his uh, voice does have heights to it. It's not a low growl or anything like that, which usually would accompany a lot of these ideas, a lot of, well, just depression in general. Um, it is a higher, brighter part of the song that, yeah, honestly, when paired with the banjo, does not come across as melancholy. But no, just the context, true. it's the context of the lyrics that obviously, it, it's obvious he's got a loss for words. It's obvious that something just hit him. And that foreshadowing he's doing here does not let you just stay lighthearted. The foreshadowing exactly. is right in the front. And that's what I meant by the melancholy hits you really hard. The sadness hits you really hard in the beginning because you know it's ending in tears. This is not a beginning. This is not a middle. This is the beginning of an ending of something that was just going to end in tears. Yeah, which sort of says, like, even if you uh, avoid what I said earlier, you know, doing your quick Google search, you don't even really need to do that. The album itself really speaks for it. And, of course, the, the album cover itself, that's another important thing to mention. It's a picture of, um, I believe, uh, his mother and I, and his stepfather, Carrie and Lowell. Um, but the style of the picture is that sort of classic faded photo. But not just faded, if you look closely, there's there's... Uh, crack marks all over it, as if it were like a, a scanned physical photo. Uh, no, not a, not scanned, but as if it were behind glass, like in a frame, oh. and then the frame was shattered a little bit. Oh, and yeah. this this song lyrically ends with "I forgive you, mother. I can hear you, and I long to be near you. But every road leads to an end. Yes, every road leads to an end. Your apparition passes through me in the willows and five red hens. You'll never see us again. You'll never see us again. Oh. I mean, he." He's closing a already kind of uplifting, if you're ignoring what's actually being said song. But obviously darker tones are being built here. And then he ends it on a very, very dour note. 
Yeah. Well, that's where we get back to the instrumentation because between the piano work, the instrumental kind of movements between the lyrics, and then, of course, the entire instrumental outro, you get that coldness that was hinted at in the track and made obvious in the lyrics, very obvious in the instrumentation at the end. That and his vocals itself, and that was the point that, that John was starting to bring up, and uh, I wanted to go into the, a little more detail there. He mentioned that there were two sets of vocals, sort of like this this strange, you know, um, like doubling, almost exactly, pitch for pitch it seems, on, on the main melodic line. But it very well could be another tactic. I heard this was all recorded in his home studio, for instance, so it, it, it sounds thin for that reason. It doesn't have the grandeur of lots of studio equipment, but granted, I'm sure he has a pretty good setup. It could very well just be two microphones set up against uh, him on the same exact track, and then each one is mixed slightly differently. But out of which both you get sort of a whisper, but then at times there's these little subtle departures, like there might be a third track there um, that that takes harmonies, and then sometimes rather than taking harmony, harmonies, it takes the delays, like a little bit of a, a call response um, later. I mean, that might have been more toward like, when, what is that song you sing for the dead? What is that song you sing for a dead? Somewhere around there in the second verse, it starts to take these like call and response. And then, and then the real crux point here, what I could almost call the chorus, even though it's almost silly to break down a track like this into verse and chorus, is uh, another line that you had read your apparition passes through me in the willows of five red hens. And that's one of about three appearances here where he reaches the true peak of this, of this, um, of this track. The first one being, again, I lost my strength completely. Oh, be near me, tired old mare. And at that moment, he, he really just, just belts it on, on that, on completely. And as he says completely, he holds the tone in falsetto. And it's, it sounds so so raw you you feel the emotional connection just in this simplistic melody here it, it's gorgeous it's also one of the times when the doubling effect seems to merge where it, you don't really hear two people singing at once or him singing twice it's just one single note it, it unifies the two of them together it's um not fully chilling but it's getting there and for an opening track it's great not to truly do something that might alienate, and if you were to really go that chilling that quickly, we'd have a, I'd have a huge problem of seeing anything live up to it. Mm -hmm. But it does a great job of setting the stage because it's showing, it no, not showing. It's foreshadowing again. It's foreshadowing something that's going to happen later in the album. Well, I think the strongest. Yeah, I'd, foreshadow is not really the the. The, the word that I would use considering I think the entire album preview. exists in the wake. It's just a preview of what's coming. It's a preview of other avenues that he would yeah. use to, to address the same loss. Exactly. I think that the instrumental outro is really the strongest yeah. point to that. I mean, it goes from something that's relatively bittersweet or sweet to something much darker. You know, he uses a lot of more electronic tones. and he, This is a, a thing that he'll come back to throughout the whole album. He'll come back to these electronic tones and keys that... Well, that moment everywhere. at that moment, I didn't hear it so much as electronic tones. I think it was more that of uh, that of like a choir that existed alongside maybe some vague violin work. Oh, but yeah. the thing is, the fact that both of them are like drenched—I've used this phrase before—drenched in reverb, and here yeah. it couldn't be truer. It sounds as if it's be being played in a in a cathedral, such yeah. that you get kind of this blending effect between this this light falsetto choiring in the background and these violins uh, overhead. And within that, you even get like these little subtle details. Um, 
like, for instance, there's a slide present where they both, like, fall down and, you know, you get this reverb choir that slides down to the major home and then attacks on the seventh. And all of this is just amidst that, that, that mist. And that's, that's this, this, like, loss that, that be... exists at the end, the tail end of this track, like, encompassing the hole in his life, as it were. And it's the first time that, I, I guess, the warmth of his music is gone. It's yeah. a cold chill coming into this song. It's yeah. something that yep. just trickles down the edge of the spine. I loved it. it. I think it was a great like period to put on this first statement, this first reaction to what's going on around him. Well, I think Steve hit the nail on, nail on the head and, and said, you know, this is the hole that was left behind. This song is him trying to put a happy face on something very tragic, and then it crashes into this reality at the end of the song. Right, and that's why there's really just those those two heights that this reaches, as far as one being that that you know tearfully beautiful falsetto that he reaches on on each of those uh, phrases. Again, I lost my strength completely. Oh, be near me, tired tired old mare. And then again, I see the signal searchlight strike me in the window of my room. Well, I've got nothing to prove. And he just, well, I've got nothing to prove. That showed almost the same, you know, sense of just defeatedness, you know, that I, I don't think I've heard uh, since the vocals that we had back with Darren Charles and Godsticks, the kind of just natural uh, manner of speaking. And it's true that all this emotion is just snuffed out with that, that final outro. It was, a, it was a, a great duality for me, and as I said, set the standard pretty high, I think, for this album. At the same time, I always also realize I'm laying on the, the, like, the feels here pretty early in today's podcast, but it, it's the kind of song that I think just like makes you want to give your mother a hug. And this will be even more apparent the further you go into this, like you know, the wake of death, but at least this one still keeps that emotional connection alive. Two things. One, I just want to take a moment so we can all acknowledge in the audience with us that Steve used the word feels. Number two... Yes, I hate that word too. Number two, I want to acknowledge that um, I think that, yes, this song especially makes you, you know, it makes you think of your own mother or a love you have for a family member, but I think as the album progresses, it's more just a general want for the person you care so much about or t the, terif the terrifying void that someone you truly care about can leave in your life. Mother, lover, father, anyone. This is about his mother, but I think we get more general just grief and struggle towards the latter half of the album that could be identified with anybody. I agree. I think the grief is more later, but the, 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 the whole is present here and the emotional connection is most importantly is established as we move on to track two should have known better we start addressing this from from different angles not yet at the full grief in fact we take little breathers from from that you know weighted grief and dealing with death in and we start sort of touching upon i think lighter things uh, for instance, there's a lot of nostalgia in this in this track that really really strikes me in the lyrics and of the overall tone. I should probably say this is more toward a lighter, more familiar style of folk that I would probably attach to uh, either um, Simon and Garfunkel for, for a lot of people. And then for me, it went to a more, a more uh, recent thing, Kings of Convenience, and their, specifically their album Riot on an Empty Street back in 2004, which really hammered home this like almost lighthearted style of folk. And that's really the way this begins. It's got this kind of wandering minstrel kind of feel, and yeah. it definitely gives the sound where the previous track was more definitely indie folk, kind of more modern. This definitely feels a little further back. Um, there's definitely an influence here of either band or both, for sure. 
Um, but what I really like also about this track is it's not just a steady kind of moving track. They, he does take pauses here. This track structure, while slightly different, different enough that it still gives you a little variety. But still, there's no big swells. There's no giant masses of instruments. It's still the same stripped down sound we had in the previous track. Yeah, no, well, as, uh, as for the whole of it, it almost strikes me as like this beachside melody, at least the way the, the guitar and banjo sync up in this, because I think for the most part, they're, they're, they're linked up uh, for the duration. It almost strikes me as like comes across as like a ukulele almost. It seems very, very free flowing, but the vocals and the lyrics do take that a different direction. It's those pauses at the end of the uh, vocal phrases, at the end of the different verses. He ends up breaking his almost metronome style of singing uh, with the first four lines of each verse and speeds up that, th that fifth line and then pauses. No, no sounds from his voice, which is kind of different because the breakup doesn't change anything musically, or at least nothing dramatically, but it comes across as almost an anti-echo, as as sort of a, a exclamation point without actually exclaiming anything on the last part of those phrases. Yeah, there's like this, there's like this um sort of variation in 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 speed as he goes through the verses. For instance, the first verse: "I should have known better to see what I could see." My black shroud. He really takes his time with that phrase holding down my feelings a pillar for my enemies and that one is really really quick it kind of speed and then there, there's that pause right after that there's this gap that just you you kind of sit with and that made me realize that in a sense there's really not a change in tone the tone the tonal change was really more deceptive just because the overall groove as you said matt doesn't really hit the same heights and it seems almost like the vocals themselves don't really reach the same falsetto heights that the previous track did either. So at first, I, w I was almost thinking this was a little bit of a, a kind of an inevitable lighthearted turn, but also perhaps a, a, a fault in that the first track was so impactful, perhaps it was going to be one of those top-heavy albums. Yeah, but I mean, for sure, this track, though, on a whole, especially in the beginning, gives you a warmer feeling than the last track did. It may, like, speaking to what you said about how it kind of almost felt like it was on a beach, just ignoring the lyrics for a moment, the sounds did give you that kind of warmth, sunny feeling, which could allude to this positive upturn that we thought we were going to get. But as we focus more on the lyrics, it definitely is still kind of cold and we get more of that as we get towards the center of the song a little cold but still it's a mix it's, yeah it's cold but there's also that you know obviously the first verse that i mentioned is 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 pretty barren at yeah. the same time though we go further with this uh when i was three three maybe four she left us at that video store be my rest to be my fantasy see here it's back to kind of those vagaries that i was referring to earlier with 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 him like i almost want to see nostalgia in here but there's also like like holes that I gather. The whole song sort of culminates for me as, as a self-recrimination. He ends up blaming himself for somewhat of what he's feeling right now, some of what happened. He feels like maybe the best term, uh, he didn't leave off on the best terms with his mother. And this whole thing culminates with, I should have known better, nothing can be changed. The past is still the past, the bridge to nowhere. I should have wrote a letter explaining what I feel, that empty feeling. Yeah, that's All, funny. The whole way it comes together, it's he's sort of blaming, but not completely, blaming the death he's feeling, the, the despair and everything 
on himself for not trying to do more. But yeah, this, I, I definitely get that, and that's the hole that I see within this, you know, nostalgia. Nostalgia would imply that it's all positive. I think there's a lot of to and fro here. Well, especially what hammers that home is from the midpoint on, it just has this slow build instrumentally that culminates with a kind of cold ending. And it's, you know, the whole almost second half of the track is mostly instrumental. And it really culminates with that, again, that kind of whole feeling that we got in the first track. It didn't linger in it as long as the last track did, but it's definitely still there, that emptiness. Not wholly instrumental. For instance, there were a lot of little subtle layers, I think, that bring us to that point. And then even so, we still kind of get a, a final couple of verses tacked onto that. For instance, um, after, you know, the, the, the obvious, which is consistent throughout this sort of like guitar and, and ba uh, banjo duet, we do get like a second verse that that adds um, another one of those like reverb heavy choirs in the background, and then um, by the time we get to the instrumental, it adds like this electronica element, which is like this little light interlude, just this almost a child's ditty, but still kind of intricate with its whole mesh with the bandro. And then he joins uh, with that on on the final verse. So then all of a sudden that continues playing out. So the instrumental is joined with with the final verse and the final. Uh, the final chorus, um, or if you want to see it as perhaps a secondary bridge, don't back down, there is nothing left, the breakers in the bar, no reason to live, I'm a fool in the fetter, rose of Aaron's beard, where you can reach me. I mean, a lot of it this... It just sounds so bleak. Yeah. But but there is one little but, line, but that, because well, that's, that's not how it that's ends. That's in contrast with the music, of course. Yeah. The music is sounds so, so uplifting here. There is that one little line he does end with, my brother had a daughter, the beauty that she brings... Illumination. illumination and the repetition the the background repetition of illumination even as the heavier strings come in and it's if the whole song was kind of building hope those strings i, I kind of see as killing it as truly just bringing the grief to the forefront as bringing the sadness to the forefront i think it was actually very reflective you, you're talking about the final outro the when final everything outro. is snuffed out so this is after the instrumental when finally we get sort of a reflection of the first uh, song. We have another cathedral feel when it's really more of a string chamber instead of a choir. And at first it was sort of a combination of the choir and, and these violins. Now I really feel more just straight up cellos or, or, or uprights. And that's, that's it. That's all you're left with. So it's like once again the reflection of tone. All that's left is the whole. That's what you're left to deal with. So even despite a, a secondary track that was attempting to deal with sort of different subjects here so it seems it still kind of came to the same thing that strikes me as the the manner in which well the human mind would often start like making connections that 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 bring whatever is is forefront whatever is paramount at that moment to the table well right well the idea of even on the basis level of depression even if you find something to be happy about and push it to the back it'll always come forward if the wound is fresh yeah. And that's the idea here. Um, from here we go to track three, All of Me Wants All of You. Um, right here from the beginning, instead of starting with finger picking like the last two tracks had, we have a harder strum here, like a full-fledged guitar strum kind of playing, um, which, you know, is something slightly different. It's, and I, it's a major pickup because of that. Yeah. It's a major boost to the energy. I mean, granted, we're still not jumping and screaming and dancing around, but it's still... it's. A big change of events as far as the emotion is concerned for me. It's going from this slightly dour, and I'm using dour as a compliment in this case, slightly dour framework of the first two tracks. This one feels almost lively. 
see, you know, it's back and forth for me because it almost strikes me as the same trap that, you know, we felt that we were getting into when we went from the first track into the second track and the second track turned out to be a lot more negative. But yet the music still seemed kind of positive. Here, I would call it like seemingly uplifting. I mean, we're back to E minor, so it's still kind of grounded. But the only reason this might sound a little bit lighter as a whole is because it's basically just a four chord progression piece there was i didn't find the same intricacies intricacies here um but there was also a strange shift in subject matter this struck me more as a breakup on the lyrical front this obviously is a different kind of loss but it's still loss and that's what i see him doing here because otherwise it would seem rather odd for him to just kind of like shift focus well let's look at this now but it seemed like like the aftermath or the sensation he's left with is almost very very similar Shall we beat this or celebrate it? You're not the one to talk things through. And here's a line. You checked your texts while I masturbated. Manalek, I feel so used. I mean, this is this is achingly personal. Yeah, At the same time, it still is, is over, again, more of a lighthearted, subtly more lighthearted um, uh, guitar and, and, and banjo backdrop. I mean, it, it's... It's bizarre because at the same time, when you go from track one to track two to track three, I feel like we're constantly getting these only marginally um, improvements in tone. And I feel like in many ways, the lyrics just find new avenues to get darker. And at the end of the day, I think these chord progressions probably turn out a lot more dour than you initially feel them. So it's like, hey, I'm getting a beachside. And then, oh, you know, I don't think my mood has really gone to that after a verse or two. Well, and also the construction of that verse specifically the fact that it's almost comical the way he candidly uses the word masturbate yeah what what it what is funny initially upon multiple listens just becomes sad because the fact that he's so candid about that means he's essentially just doesn't give a shit anymore well, yeah and I like, I, I like and that's what's really sad this is that is, he just doesn't care this is time to also bring in a little bit of research you know as I was just like poking around through some reviews on this I try not to go go too too deep into that before um uh, before we have this discussion, but just a little bit to kind of get my sense of where the world is on the album. A lot of some were almost ravingly positive because, as I said, he's sort of like the the darling of this, this contemporary uh, alt community. But um, and they would just kind of love anything that he he, he wrote. But others are a little bit uh, reticent because of lines like this. For instance, the fact that he it's so personal, it it feels almost too personal for mass release. Yeah, but you know what? I'm back and forth with that because it really all d- just depends on, well, did you walk away feeling awkward or did you just empathize at that moment? Well, well yeah. I'm leaning toward the latter here. There is something, and the course is a great job of kind of putting it in the, the right point of view for that. It, it does keep it personal, but it also removes him sort of from the equation because you can place yourself in his shoes. Speaking of which... <laughs> Found myself on Spencer's Butte. Trace your shadow with my shoe. Empty outline changed my view. Now all of me thinks less of you. That was just forever. That's the moment in which I kind of like turned around and it was like, oh, this is just as depressing as the former. I mean, now all of me thinks less of you. There's also that sense of bitterness here that's just tacked on in addition. Um, Especially when they revisit the chorus. That's one of my favorite parts because in the second chorus... The call and response, because he repeats the same lines, but in between each lines, he's got himself slightly quieter in the background going, all of me wants all of you. That call right. and response uh, instantly 
you can latch onto it instantly. And I'm glad you pointed that out because the, this chorus here is another one of those powerful melodic moments. It c comes across again as being somewhat joyous. All of me wants all of you. And he, he, he rises up here with one, two, three, four, five, seven, one. Of course, I'm, I'm setting out the numbers of the minor scale here, but this is just that, that like, it's it's very elevating at this moment, and it's it's enhanced as John said by this echo of of another vocal track. So you get that that melodic line, um, saw myself on Spencer's Butte. All of me wants all of you. Landscape chains my point of view. All of me wants all of you. All of this is just. I mean, it's it's almost kind of this like you almost want to rally and sing along at the same time you you feel saddened at the same time i was I, singing along and it was sad singing along sad okay that's exactly where he wants you to be then <laughs> yeah i mean also i mean the thing is also it adds impact to the later moments like we get a guitar interlude here we haven't really had long interludes to this point but there's a, a little bit of guitar work here that you can get get into and enjoy but ultimately it's very bittersweet because even though the guitar moment and this not solo, but kind of interlude instrumental feels sweet. It's bittersweet by nature because of the way the song still resolves itself. And I think that's a big impact from the lyrics. I think what you're meant to feel here is not necessarily awkward, but take a moment and go, well, is this the real Sufjan? Was the earlier stuff the real Sufjan? Where are we with what he's actually feeling and what he actually experienced and what he's giving you in the song but see i think it's all a combination of uh, i mean it's, it's a combination of everything yes. and it's very obvious because it's, you know well how should you deal with grief you yeah. know there's there's people there's certain friends of yours that are gonna be like no nah, pick up move on right away man you know yeah. you got let's let's go for a drink you know and there are these people that are almost like too happy when sometimes you do just want to sit with it for a while and that's what you feel you need to do but then there's also people who take that to the extreme and then it's been like years and it's like well what are you going to do for the rest of your life just dwell in grief that i don't think that's how uh the person who passed would want you to deal with it that way i think i think it's like he's giving you this via the avenue of music which is always capable of doing everything at once he's just trying to sort of tack on those layers and very subtly make you feel his transition from mood to mood but i'm glad you also brought up that that instrumental because that instrumental when it includes the guitar is more of a, a, a electronic guitar in a style that that ref i i heard back in shoegaze um when we were doing like you know yola tango that very light but but clearly trying to like have an electronic overlier to everything that is the style of guitar he introduced here and that kind of steps away from the folk style so i see how musically um it it, it seems to depart as well but again that's just kind of trying to move you through the motions yeah and this song well this song culminates with the almost funeral procession type of uh, uh organ work that almost it it it, it feels like a death Maybe not the most grievous of death. Maybe it's a little bit insulated in this case for me. But it comes across as very much, not a dirge, just a major part of a ceremony. You're going to sing a hymn. I'm, I'm drawing a lot from Catholicism here because Matt's got a kind of a confused face going on right now. We have hymns it's, in Judaism too. Yeah. Well, they're not like something well, I mean, we have prayers. We have, I mean, it, it's all sorts of different things. It's it, Ah, but there's a name though. I can't think of it. Well, then I can only draw from my Christianity. Well, and you're drawing from your experience. Like that. Which is, it's just 
long accordion, not accordion, uh, long It's like a Mellotron. Exactly. Kind of like a Mellotron. It sort of has that feel. And it's true, the outro here... It it's takes a, on a much more warmer touch. Like I would almost say, it's 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 again reflective of the first um, the first two tracks. But here, it's like we dropped the reverb, and and the fact that we did that almost, I'm I'm inclined to kind of read into this. Perhaps it has to do with the fact that this is more of that personal like loss of of a loved one in your life, but not to death. So it's almost like. It's, uh, the it's, funny thing right, is, I felt is like warmer. it was. I felt it like it was actually stripped of of a religious overtone. Granted, you're right; it does have that like church organ. If it if it were like in a small local church kind of thing, like exactly. a chapel, but it's a chapel as opposed to that grandeur of cathedral. Almost like there was more emphasis in the first two tracks than there is here. Which is the lack of this the is, reverberation. Which is the lack of the, I don't know, ad nauseum notes going on right there in some of the church processions. It's. Almost. It's like a cathedral is the place for death, and this is more for something warmer and worldlier. Maybe, as love. maybe, but more, still more homey, still more condensed. It's more hometown kind of a feel. I guess the local chap- uh, chapel is a good example of it because you would know everybody as you're walking through the door. If you're, if it's a local, then the congregation is one tenth the size of <laughs> something major in the city. But I know I might be reading a little bit too far into this. It's it's grieving, but it's grieving without the major just sadness that death can bring about. Well, again, I, I just referenced the fact that it's a it's a loss of a loved one to perhaps falling out as opposed to a loss of a loved one to death. Yeah, just segregation from them. Right. Um, all right, let's go on to track four, Drawn to the Blood. Instrumentally, this song does something that I, might be one of my favorite moments on the track. Well, it's thinner. To start off, the music is thinner, but what the guitar does with the vocals, the way he phrases it, gives this kind of, and Steve gave me the perfect words to describe it, an almost fan buffering effect, as if it's a rotating sound. So it's in one ear, then in the other, gives a a whirring kind of feel to all of the sound together, which is interesting. That has to do with the time signatures here, because, I mean, there was, I was listening to this, I I, I didn't listen too closely, but at times it sounded as if it was almost in 6-4, but then it's like he adds an extra two beats in a certain moment, or an extra two chords in a certain moment, so you get this, like, very steady, like, on the beat, just kind of like this hammering out, but then every... like, every once in a while, the, the chord will change in a very, very odd moment. Now, of course, there's regularity within this, but it's over the course of a longer form, such that, such that you know, as Matt said, you can kind of interpret this as a sense of, like, going around in, in a circle or, or, or buffering irregularly. Um, but there's also moments here on the, on the me- melodic front that I think are just as powerful as, as some of the greatest moments that we've had. Let's just... Um, read a little bit here. I'm drawn to the blood, the flight of a one-winged dove. How? How did this happen? The strength of his arm, my lover caught me off guard. How? Head of a rabbit. For my prayer has always been love. What did I do to deserve this? Now, right there, my prayer has always been love. And he holds that out. And it's such a such a sweet moment. Also, this is a, this is a nice... A follow-up to the previous track because we just well we were discussing more the love of you know two people in a non you know parental way and and it seems like this is kind of once he got once he devolves to what did I do to deserve this all of a sudden there's a lot of connectivity here between what we 
obviously know is the overall theme, that being the passing of his mother. And that's a kind of a, a almost a falling out with 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 God is as if you not that that necessarily has happened, but a lot of people go through those moments of doubt, especially when something really, really harrowing has happened, because obviously, even if we aren't spiritual, you know, we all have prayers or we call them hopes. We all have things that we'd hope would happen. And then we feel a little bit betrayed when things don't quite go that way, especially if we felt we did all the right things. And it seems like this is that answer to both scenarios. It's or a, is one a metaphor for the other? It's a crisis of faith. And you don't have to be religious to have a faith. You have faith in people. You have faith yeah. in things. And this is a crisis of faith. This is, whenever you utter the words, what did I do to deserve this? You're saying, I've done everything right. Or I think I've done everything in line. Why did this happen? It's a big question to ask. Mm-hmm. And that those questions come from a crisis in fa- <laughs> why of faith. Ba- why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> And also because it, it tends to be somewhat gender neutral overall. You don't know if he's actually talking from his point of view. You don't know who he may in fact be talking about. You don't know if it actually is a parent or a lover or something like that. No, it's, it's, just pretty, talk- it's pretty clear here my lover caught me off guard. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're... The strength of his arm? I mean... Yeah, I don't know. It could have been both. It could have been anything. Still positive, gender neutrality. With blood on my sleeve... I mean, the the he's talking about abuse, uh, an abusive thing going on here. There's obvious pain coming from this love, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional. There's an obvious pain coming from it. It's another aspect of grief, another way he's experienced grief over the years, and this another side of the coin. When you have something in here, the 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 walking guitar, that's great, and everything like that. But the pause between the first and second part of the song. Two verses and the chorus, and then you have that that symphonic shaping in between. His outro is being previewed here, and this is a little bit different. And I love the song for it. That shaping, that soundscape that he does in between everything, is just really gorgeous. But it's so depressingly gorgeous for me. I love it. Well, because this time it lasts over a much longer stretch. It, it, it comprises almost the last half of this track, and the entire, uh, all the verse work is just snuffed out. First of all, we get we get several um, s- several choruses here. How, how did this happen? How, head of a rabbit? How, god of Elijah? And it should probably be mentioned that, uh, at least in, in, in Christian terms, Elijah is come to be seen as the one who, who comes at the end, at, as of Judgment Day. Elijah will be there. Um... So, you know, to specifically reference the God of Elijah, you know, kind of makes me feel as if he's at his wit's end here, um, as his own personal judgment day, as it were. And then, uh, finally, how hard of a dragon. And it's like all these stand-ins amidst that head of a rabbit, heart of a dragon is standing for God of Elijah. It's like, I feel, I feel the falling out here as well. He's just putting in a, a, a figure in the place of who he's praying to. And then finally, for my prayer has always been love, how did what did I do to deserve this now? How did this happen? And then just it cuts out, and for the last half, we're left with this vacant, cold. Um, it goes to B flat minor, then we step up this whole step to C minor, and then down to E flat minor, then F F minor, and then we kind of continue this cycle over and over again. And there's no voice leading here. It's just hopping around uh, the keyboard, or as we refer to it as the mellotron, or however you want to see it. Um, but it has this 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 long decay, you know. The, the each chord just lingers with you for a very 
long stride. And since there's no other instruments here, it comes across as a very empty progression. And I don't mean that in the sense as if, as if it has no emotional value. It's empty, it, it's vacant, it's cold. Thus it has more emotional value by it not being accompanied by other instrumentation or by other harmonies. Just the cold triads poking around in sort of a, a this this aimless cycle. And then there's only one one moment at the tail end here where it seems to have a slight pick-me-up. And this is like a, one of the last uh, chords when it modulates to B-flat major. And at that moment, all of a sudden, we're a little bit more relaxed as if that's the only turn you can make without having the true existential crisis that he'd been building to, it seems. It comes across almost as if it was a melody, for me, that was stripped down. Instead of being the full piece, it was a single note, and where everything else would have built up to the next note you heard. Instead, he just draws out that single note. And then when the next one comes in, he just draws out that single note. He's There's whitewashing. no melody. You hear the melody exactly. just as the chords themselves. That's the melody. Yeah, it's, it's almost whitewashing something else with a single note on top of it. It comes, yeah. it, it's extremely beautiful. But it's also it's, another one of those moments that's lacking reverb. It has kind of that similar warmth that the the uh, outro of the previous track did. Well, the idea of it whitewashing is actually a great segue into our next track, uh, Eugene, because track five is a different, um, is a warmer emotional feeling. And this whitewashing instrumental at the end kind of gives way to this. Um, Eugene starts off and feels very nostalgic and sweet and darling, you know, um... There's more finger picking in this track. It's not a hard strum anymore. We're back to the kind of folk kind of banjo playing. And like this one, at least initially, kind of makes you smile. It feels more darling, more sweet. It comes across as very, very much a retrospective view on all the innocuous events you went through in life. All the little things that at the time meant nothing. They didn't really shape your life one way or the other, but it's those things that you remember about your life when you're reflecting upon your grief. Yeah, that's a good way to see it. And also the um, the medium is, is apt too, because it's this very traditional folks style, even more a little bit 60s than anything else. It really stepped back in time, even I would say pre-Simon uh, and Garfunkel. But, I mean, it's still intricate in its way, but it wasn't as impactful perhaps for that, for that overall usage. But I see why he used it because all the lyrics here it's true it's it's very benign there's, there's not a lot of impact there this is almost the true nostalgia that i feel like i was expecting from track two but didn't get because i realized that was kind of like drenched in, in bitterness but here we really do get the nostalgia and it's 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 not entirely clear how it's related except to sort of bring you back in in time when things were innocent and easier yeah it's just supposed to kind of make you feel like this is pre-grief this is pre-problem this is how he felt when nothing was really wrong like just an acknowledging the life moments the day-to-day and because of its numbness because of the the almost numbness in his in his vocal work the kind of numbness that's actually present in the guitar because the guitar really is doing nothing. The guitar, mm-hmm. banjo combination of what's going on, it's not really doing anything. The words are just telling very, like Steve said, benign's even a better word, very benign events. The whole thing comes across as almost rose, rose-colored glasses to some extent. Right, as but sort of, of course- looking back and you're not seeing any of the big important events because they have emotional value to them that you can't deal with right now. It's more just the little events that you just remember and you can smirk about. 
Right, but of course it does tie in in terms of the uh, the refrain that appears at the end of every single verse, I just wanted to be near you. He always brings it back, and he really brings it back at the tail end here, uh, the second to last verse. Still I pray to what I cannot see, again a reference to the previous track. In the sprinkler I mark the evidence known from the start, from the bed near your death, and all the machines that made a mess. Far away the falcon flew, and again, now I want to be near you. So all of a sudden here, it's like he broke that that rose-colored glasses that John mentioned. He, he broke the mist, and now all of a sudden, thing, he's here in the present, and it's much colder reality. Um, I love all that reference and all the machines that made a mess, because I have uh, almost no doubt that's a reference to cancer treatment yeah. attempts. Absolutely. Well, he, he really drives the point home for me in the final verse. What's left is only bittersweet. For the rest of my life, admitting the best is behind me. Now I'm drunk and afraid, wishing the world would go away. What's the point of singing songs if they never even hear you? Yeah, that he really drives home at the tail end there. That's... Well, he's essentially saying, why should I keep writing music if she can't hear it anymore? And this is, this is this true is... despair right now. Yeah. This is a tactic that he's he's done in his previous work. I, I, I really enjoy it. It's a kind of like breaking the fourth wall amidst it. it like, well, he'll... Whatever whatever story he's telling at that moment, all of a sudden he just kind of like breaks first from his story back to reality and then finally out of, not even in reality, but out of the song. Now all of a sudden, it's well, why even continue? I, he, I love that, that, that humility and that, that he professes knowing that he's obviously an artist and well, he's, his career is to write music, write albums and this, because it's incredibly personal work, you're bound to have moments of like, well, how true am I being? And sometimes the truest you can be is when you take yourself out of the barrier between you and the audience and that is the art itself. Why not just speak from the heart? Right, and, and truly, that's what he's doing here. He's giving you this completely honest, unchanged moment with Sufjan the guy not even the musician the artist the personality the guy this is how he feels mm -hmm. but at the same time and i will want to point out this major flaw the thing he's going for he achieves greatly which is numbness but it's really numb for me <sighs> this the level that he really hits before the ending of this song made me wander a little bit made me, made me just deviate a little bit the first time I heard this song well you're raising a good point as far as this track is concerned because I think this is another one of those times where you it it depends on how you're approaching this album again some people are just going to like swoon over whatever he does and then other people are going to come at this with really really skeptical mindset that it's just you know it's generic folk you know it's uh if you're not peering at the theme and you're not peering at his lyrics and his gorgeous melodies, then you're just left with this, like, barren landscape. And you can kind of gloss over that. And certainly, as far as this album is concerned, this track particularly could probably be called a musical filler track. You can gloss over it because there's not that much to stand out in the way of... Um, in the way of music, as I said, it's just like a childish ditty walking us through all of these these motions. It really doesn't change very much over the, over the course of it. Um, it's really my favorite line is just that that final refrain. Now I want to be near you, but I think that in context of the album, on a second listen, a third listen, I really came to appreciate how how this track bridges together some of the earlier concepts and some of the later concepts, specifically. Uh, specifically the next track here, because it's true that as a prequel, it pales in comparison by what the 4th of July does. This track six Fourth 4th of July, and I'm going to say right out front that this is, I think, the the emptiest and the thinnest, and he seems to keep topping himself, ironically enough, in this regard, um, 
track of the lot. This is the death. This is the event um, recited very face value. And it's almost jarring. Almost. In context of the album. Because we're not getting a plucked or strum instrument. We're getting a piano. It's instantly a different sound we're hearing. Um, and it I will, still think it made an appearance earlier. I, no, I, well, it I mean, did, as it's a, never I was, been the focus until this moment. And having never it been as the a, only thing. As, yeah. as a focus, with a little bit of just soundscaping around the edges to flush it out, it was, obvi- it was almost obvious from the, the inception and became very obvious very quickly that this was going to be a focal point of the theme of the album. And it does a beautiful job of doing that. By just having something replacing the strummed instruments and keeping it within the same family, because the piano's not too far out. But just well, the fact that you can. It's not far out at all. It's a stringed instrument. Well, it's I a mean, hammered stringed instrument. But there you go, hammered. And by having it hammered, it ends a different emotional value right away. It, it adds a finality to it that just just perfectly frames what this song goes into. So there's an emotion on the emotional scale also. There's no hiding it at this point. There's no illusion. Within the first phrase, there's a dark tone that really conveys this longing, this almost desperate longing over this death. And do this by repeating three notes. On the piano, it's just this A repeated several times. Then we go to a G sharp, go down to F sharp. Lots of octave work, it seems here. Just plain octaves i really didn't de- even detect uh the, to bother with chords here he wants he wants it that thin so let's lose the the, the farthest um interval possible um and then the verse itself when it enters almost feels like an incomplete phrase the evil it spread like a fever ahead it was night when you died my firefly what could i have said to raise you from the dead oh could i be the sky on the 4th of July. And each and every time he goes back to this, it almost feels like that phrase is just being cut short because of this round that the piano is caught in. Um, it's It it really is beautiful, though. I mean, it's a... It's a powerful. It's so powerful. And the thing is, that, as we kind of called it, a death hum, that sound that happens after that verse, is just so deep and powerful it's obvious that 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 note is representing this darkness. It's it's like a cello. We're pretty sure it's within that summer family because it has a reverberation you associate with strings, but still, because of the way it is fooled around with, it's not 100% identifiable, which adds a level to the mystique to it. Yeah, of course. It's it's like a long, drawn, upright bass tone that's, that's, again, applied through several filters and, of course, the the same level of reverb that he's applied uh, throughout this album so far. But that cyclical nature of the verse always comes down to the same exact thing. He... He has that incomplete phrase because of the cycle of the piano, which which actually here goes more from like six, four, five, two, one, and repeats one, one, one over and over and over, and just stays there. Assuming that, of course, we're we're in F sharp minor, which I I believe we are. But the, again, it kind of like you have so little context here. At times, it just seems like tones. You really don't get this like center of home anywhere, and then it's 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 enhanced by that um. That, that drone, which comes in like clockwork at the end of every single verse, or if I'm correct, every single phrase. Yeah. It was night when you died, my firefly. Broom. We enter in with that. Um, or could I be the sky on the 4th of July? Broom. We enter in again. It's just this low hum that is, is incidentally in F sharp, so that kind of also anchors in this F sharp minor feel. But it's like we're doing so little with the scale here. 
It's like and I love it. It's like before you can even reel back from the impact of the last time you've heard that note, as you're coming forward, it hits you again. It's like a being belted in the face almost. But the vocals are just the opposite. They're so almost backpedaling from the emotions themselves. I mean, it's still a point where he doesn't want to deal with it. It's, there's fear. There's fear in this vocal work. There's definitely this... this the backpedaling, I think, is a result of this fear. He doesn't want to acknowledge it, but it's, it's just obvious. And, he, I mean, he really decides also to hit it home with one of the most impactful lines in the entire album. The hospital asks, should the body be cast before I say goodbye, my star in the sky? Such a funny thought to wrap you in a cloth. Do you find it all right, my dragonfly? That's my favorite line. Well, because, uh, because also it's it's really playing off the notion that, well, you know, your mother wrapped you in cloth when you were just a little little baby. child, and now all of a sudden you have to wrap them in cloth, and it's one time only, and it is it is a funny thought in a, the most macabre sense. Yeah. Um, it this, really is. <laughs> this song is just macabre from start to finish. It's very hard to listen to. Um, I could not keep my eyes dry every time I listened to it. Thinking about it just upsets me. It's there, just so powerful. There were two songs in this album that made me feel that way, and there, it came from the first the first track, again, for the emotional center that I think he established between um, him and his mother. And then here, it... it, it this it, is the moment. You're in is, the hospital room with him. Yeah, this is, yeah that's this the is, way you feel. This You feel like you're standing next to him. as he When, he re, when the lines John read... I felt like I was standing next to Sufjan as he's looking at his mother with her eyes closed, mulling this over. Like, my arm is around him. Like, I'm in that moment. It really does. See, it's funny because I felt the same thing in the first track, despite the fact that perhaps the music... And this is probably the only, like, uh, strange disparity we're going to have in this album. It's just like, well, where is your emotional center within this overall album? You could just like the album at the whole, as a whole and then leave it at that. But I, I like to be particular here. And I, I see this kind of like duality between the first track and, and the sixth track, but it, it comes down to specific lines and specific melodic tools. Like in the first track, it all it all came down uh, to that, you know, I long to be near you. I forgive your mother, I can hear you, and I long to be near you, but every road leads to an end. Yes, every road leads to an end. It's it's rich foreshadowing that he includes in that first track, and then all of a sudden here, it's 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 really the existential matter of it all. We're all going to die. And yeah. that's the final refrain in the in in this track. It all concludes with just him repeating over and over and over, "We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die." He really he tries to throw in some beauty to it. He gets into a much richer falsetto. He takes the harmonies and then all. But how much beauty can it's you add? Depressing. It's that's the, the most depressing notion when you're so close to death is to think about realistically, someday you will be dead. That's it. That's just a fact of life, and it's. Like, you know, how that old saying, there are only two definites in this world, death and taxes. Yep. It's that idea that no matter what you do in this life, no matter how hard you try, you cannot avoid dying. Right. And that's um, really only brings me back to that, that, that disparity. It's just like, well, if there's going to be an emotional center here, I feel like it comes down uh, to the fact that that this track made me focus more, I think, on, on the death than I did the emotional connection. I think it came so close to the existential uh reality of it all that my reaction was very very unique from the first track to this track um it seems like a strange comparison because again at a glance people might throw in the first track with the bunch but i feel like it set a standard for this album because of those moments and because of the connection so that actually did make me tear up it made me almost choke up this track kind of found myself just staring don't get me wrong it's profound in its way 
but it, it that's i think what a more um a more reality driven track will do to you this also leads us to the next track the only thing and in this case here's my emotional center when it comes to grief this track this right here really becomes a crux of the album for me because well track one did its thing and steve's right it did set up a great way of foreshadowing the tragedy we were coming to get and if fourth of july is the 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 death of the character it's the climax of the it's album the climax for sure. The only thing is that initial gut reaction, and it comes across so guttural for me, um, I can't get away from it. It becomes the, the real soul, because for all of the talking about the past and, and reflecting upon it, for all the th- ways that grief is interacting with Stevens here, this is that first reaction. This is that instance that death happens and how you take it when it finally hits in. And that can be, that not can be, that is some of the most powerful emotions anybody will ever feel. I remember when I found out my grandfather died, who recently, he passed away not too long ago. I am amazingly related to this song itself. Well, because it, it doesn't pull any punches, this song. From the minute it starts, it's an internalized struggle. And it's the obvious dealing with someone just died that you care about. Why even live? That terrifying struggle with suicide after you've lost someone who means more to you than you feel life itself. Right, so you have three different uh, uh, roads in which you could probably reach a very, very um, uh, emotionally emotional place. Uh, one being the first track for the foreshadowing and then the emotional connection, then being the sixth track for the death itself, and this finally being the reaction. Um, it didn't get me as much, and that maybe only had to do with the music itself. I didn't find the same uh, the same melodic melodic heights in this first of all we're at a very very light um framework again of course it's about suicide but it's it's e-flat major and the only thing odd i found that it almost never goes home it almost never returns to e-flat major it's like we're there we're clearly there but we never settle there it always kind of is just like cycling around from chord to chord to chord um and we never just like sit in a place perhaps because of like the erratic nature involved with a a fringe suicidal mind um, I like that, and I like that coupled yeah, no, with the plucky nature of the uh, banjo going on here. It's very it's, fast, it's, also a lot of like you know. And that's why I really, I really feel like it does capture this feeling because it's adrenaline. It's muted adrenaline because there's still a lot of sadness on top of this, but it's that that moment when it the, the adrenaline is hitting your eyes and things are becoming clear. At least clear in your grief-addled mind as it can be, but it, it's it's an emotional level that really does have a lot of energy associated with it. I think it's also so personal because anyone who struggled with it, and as someone who has myself, this is not about doing it. This is about thinking about doing it, and that's where the most realistic struggle is. Because someone who's actually done it has a whole other series of issues. But someone who's thought more, even people have thought about it because it's normal at some point for a lot of people to at least let your mind wander there once. I would flat out say it's a little bit abnormal if it never even crossed your mind. Every like, how can you how can you have a, a firm grasp of what death really means if you haven't wondered what it's like to 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 do it, and especially of one's own accord? I mean, he also includes some lines in here which bring more. 
a, a clarity that didn't exist earlier on the mm-hmm. album, where there was vague, vague vagaries before. Now, all of a sudden, we have the only reason why I continue at all. Faith in reason. I wasted my life playing dumb. Signs and wonders. Sea lion caves in the dark. Blind faith. God's grace. Nothing else left to impart. This is that that moment that, that it, I mean... We'd been hinting to this yeah. up to this point. You know, oh, you get a sense that, you know, he's, he's, he's lost his faith a little bit, you know, or there's some doubt. And this, he's just right up front with it. He's hopeless. Like, yeah. He's absolutely hopeless, and he doesn't know how to handle it. I mean... The closer which, and closer you get to that moment of, like, being on, on, on the fringe of doing something is probably when you're going to be more blunt. He's, he's just pleading at this point. Should I tear my eyes out now? Everything I see returns to you somehow. Yeah. Should I tear my heart out now? Everything I feel returns to you somehow. Just that's the just that, that sums on. up grief. There yeah. you go. Uh, people who can't escape the um the the five stages. But it's it's or can't right. Get to the fifth. But the, it's just so blatant. Just so much. He's even thinking about how he's going to do it. The only thing that keeps me from cutting my arm: crosshatch, warm bath, holiday in after dark, signs and wonders, water stain. Writing the wall, Daniel's message, blood in the moon on us all. I mean that he's thought about it, yeah. not just thought about, but planning, figuring like it he out. Listed, That's dark. He listed he locations, li- ways to leave the note, like all of these things that are very real and very terrible. That was right up front. Half drive the car, half light, jackknife into the canyon at night. He's very yeah. No, this is definitely that that yeah. It's this is classic rumination right here. Yeah. Um. And I really do love his 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 falsetto right there. At you know, should I tear my eyes out now, or should I tear my arms out now? Absolutely beautiful. And there are moments um, throughout this I think that do like step it up a little bit. Even though I'm not like feeling the groove itself, I do like the chordal motion, um, and I do like the cello or or upright, whichever it is, stepping in with, then with the guitar also. Um, and then the chorus layers on, so we do get these like little layers as as the thing goes forward. So it's not it's not really uh, that vapid of a track, but perhaps the only reason why it is so thin and 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 steady is is because well, you're it's, dealing with the uh, rumination. And it's a lyrically focused song. You're supposed to hear the words that he's saying because yeah. that's where the story and the real emotion is. Right. It's so a, you thin everything out, and then his voice is highlighted. I and guess. musically, it does provide a, a pretty good counterpoint to Fourth of July. I, the the combination of the two will forever be linked in my lo- my mind. I, I will yeah, not be able to hear one without the other. For some but, reason, I would really include Eugene. I came to really appreciate Eugene a, going in. It's a book-ended in. middle piece. I think it truly is a second act. Right. Truly, truly is. From here we go to track eight, Carrie and Lowell, the title track. Um, we've got a much faster pace here, faster for this album at least. The finger picking is at double speed almost. This time we're steady like on 16th notes. And it's really kind of giving you an not an, an erratic feeling in the fa- in the fact that you're trying to kind of like, you're hunting, you're searching, you're trying to, you know, it's this constant quest to figure out how to handle this moment. And also by contrast, this was far more intricate than the previous track. Yes. I mean, this, this included uh, overlapping falsettos, which harmonize in certain places. Um, and also these really astute breaks in the music. I think that's another thing I was really lacking in the previous track because we didn't really have that breather, which again, yeah. I'm sure matches the mindset. But here we do have uh, very important breathers. Right after um, right after the, the, the verses, we have this like um, 
season of hope after the flood, Valentine spurned my sorrow, head on the floorboards, covered in blood, drunk as a horsefly, climb on the mattress pad, twist my arm. And suddenly after that, so this, like... So pause that gives way to distortion. It, it's like, a, actually, a, a, a distorted, like, synth sound that gives way to a pause. It, yeah. like, gurgles, and then all of a sudden we just, like, shoop, to silence. And then we just pick up again, uh... The second verse, like nothing ever happened. And as the song progresses, after every verse, that distortion gets longer and longer, Access, accenting and giving a very fine focus on those pauses, these dark moments, which we're getting so much of in this record. It adds an ominousness. Ominousness? I think that's right. An ominance, something like that. It makes this track more ominous than any tracks that came before it. Um, many much more ominous. This track. <laughs> yes, that. Seriously, though, like, I, it just really makes me... It re- returns me to a bit of Fourth of July, where you get this moment of, oh, there's that darkness here, that, that really creeping death that's there. It's not just in the background. It's bleeding through. Really creeping death. Yes, creeping death. Really creeping death. Really creeping death. But yes. the speed... That's the sequel to the Metallica song, Creeping Death. Really death. This album is really death. It really is. It's much death. The speed here, though, oh, no. keeps it from being that, like, total downer that the 4th of July is. That total yeah. just heartbreak that 4th It fluctuates. Is. This, if, you're, if you want to see as Act 2 starting, this is dealing a little bit better. But also having those relapses. That rumbling is definitely harkening back to the cello work that was in 4th of July that sort of sweeping death noise that was kept coming in and out. But it's still a little bit more, I want to say, upbeat just because of the energy that's involved yeah, here. of course. It's more of a blending of, of track six and seven together. But it's it's trying to find an emotional center here, and it doesn't quite do that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I really am. It depends on really what you want to take. Again, if, well, if suicide's your bag... Uh, not that it should be, but hell, I mean, if that's just what, what is going to make you more emotional at the end than the previous track is going to do it. Uh, this, I think, has its place. Uh, it definitely has more on the musical front. Frankly, I think I just, I think I, I came to a re- early realization on this album that I think I enjoy more when he gets thinner. The thinner, the better on this. It's just, it clearly is enhances his point better than the layers do. Something I've noticed also that, I don't really think it's a metaphor more as just maybe it was important in their lives, but on several occasions, it happens in this track as well as in other tracks, he refers to the deceased or a character or makes some kind of relationship to horses. He mentions mares earlier. He Dead horse comes up several times in this track. So I don't know if horses were important in his life with his mother or if it's just an easy metaphor for him to go to. But I think it's interesting that he does keep bringing it up. Actually, well, there may very well be a reason for that. And that's obviously the the concept that, you know, a, a horse was that, you know, you live with it. It was like the the closest thing you'd have to. It was it was not just a a pet, but it was your companion, and That's it was true. your your working dude, everything. Your partner, your partner in 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 crime it, unseen, whatever. But literally, th- but then literally, but then it there's that moment. You. But then there's that moment yeah. when all of a sudden horse is sick, and obviously in the old days, what do you do? Shoot it. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's not entirely the same, but it's almost a similarity to it, especially with when you when you think about cancer and the long time in the making of it, you know, it's well, almost what like people it, say when the someone... way you need to kind of just psychologically edit it out well, because it wasn't, it wasn't shocking to you. It was almost the decision. It was conscious. 
Well, also that thing that people always say when there's cancer involved in any kind of death, it's, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. Yeah, this yeah, idea yeah. that they're at least not they're not in pain right because you don't want them to be in pain and i think that leads to also what you were saying before it's just an interesting thing people deal with cancer a lot differently because of very often you know the very very long times in the making well Um, i mean and it doesn't always end in tragedy but a lot of the time it does i do i actually personally know cancer survivors we've had guests who were um and it's it's never easy to talk about. I've never bring not to be negative, but sometimes it happens after twenty years. Yeah, which is still like, all right, hell, if you have twenty years ahead of you, maybe it seems like a good thing. But all it, we all never know what it's like to have like a date, you yeah. know, when they say rough, and then it's not always correct, but it, it's true. It, uh, you know, de- death can like steal you at any point, but certainly whenever you start like like. That's why he made that reference earlier about how the machines made a mess. It's yeah. almost as if it kind of like robbed it of the natural cycle. Which is not that that's, like, a claim that he has or a claim that I'm making or anything. But, like, it feels like there's maybe some, like, bitterness there yeah. over the, the the time frame in which he was left to deal with this. So, I think from here it's a good time to go on to our next track, track nine. John, my beloved. So, okay, wait. First, before we get into anything else. John, my beloved, most unique little thing going on here that was identifiable for me but I did not know what it was and Matt saw it before even I did and the vocal doubling is gone the single voice line this is the most I I frame this as the first time we're actually getting Sufjan the person not Sufjan the artist the personality of the character none of that this is Sufjan the person it's just one voice a tapping rhythm no guitar at all at least in the beginning, it's just this tapping rhythm, whether it's being produced by a keyboard or something, but it's literally just a, almost like a foot tapping and just a solo voice. Like this was to my point earlier about I think he's he's at his best when he gets thinner, and I think this, yet again, is one of the thinnest on the album, um, in line with, uh, with Fourth of July. It's just a march in 3-4, you're right, just one vocal track, one synth layer, um, and that's, that's pretty much it. And then what we're left with vocally is clearly it, like this this barren prayer, a a, a, a wit's end kind of prayer. Um, little perhaps a little bit of anger, a lot of bit of grief. It's it's the sort of wit's end is one way to put it, but it's also it's it, almost demanding, and that's what I really like about it. It is on the cusp of saying you owe me. It's exhaustion, too. I feel like at this point in this track, he's kind of just tired. Tired of the emotional roller coaster, tired of the relapses, tired of the pain, just tired. And that exhaustion comes through, and I think the way he sings the lyrics and the actual lyrics themselves. Well, obviously, this tiredness, we experience tiredness also because we go through this album, and every song vaguely covers the same subject. So, you know, it's it's really an exercise in how many different directions, how many ways can you deal with death? How many ways can you project death in, in art? And so the 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 order is kind of interesting because we already had our close to suicide track, and then here, and we always had our, we already had our, our um, crises of faith. And then here, all of a sudden, we have a return to prayer. But it, the reason, only reason I, I mentioned that it's like at its wit's end is because there are certain lines here. Uh, every verse closes, or rather every, um, I think it's every chorus closes off with, with there's only a shadow of me in a manner of speaking, I'm dead. Yeah. So in, in a sense, it, 
it's like this really is a pick-me-up. It's true it's at, it's at his wit's end, but but John made a point earlier about how this is almost like this kind of return to attempt to at least make something out of it. Like, well, if there was going to be an uphill slope to the 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 horrible parabola that is this this grief struggle, then this perhaps is the is the first little climb is a a return to Faye, the return to looking for something, a void to fill. He still admits he's at the the end of his game here. There's only a shadow of me in a matter of speaking, I'm dead. But there's a a a, a clear desire to move on from this. Can we contend peacefully before my history ends? Even a direct uh, call out, Jesus, I need you, be near me, come shield me from fossils that fall on my head. I mean... And I love that, I love that line, from fossils that fall on my head, from the historical <laughs> things that have, that are just concrete in his life, yeah. that have hit him and are now just avalanching on top of him. I love that idea. It's a very unique way of putting well, the idea how history hits you. Sadness cascades. You know, it it, it it makes associations. Neurons cross paths with others, and then all of a sudden you're 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 wrapping in all of the things that have ever made you sad, be them separate as they may, all of a sudden it's just one big heap of keeping you down. I've also this song highlights something that I've seen as we talk about him coming back to faith almost more times than I can count. I've seen people who've lost their parents especially dive deeper into a faith that they had distanced themselves from. Um, mm. I have family members who dove deeper into Judaism, became, went from being conservative, you know, to extremely orthodox. And that's such a hard flip. It was like this sense that, like, well, when you're young, you're, you're bound to stray a little bit. You, pick, you peer into other things. You don't want to stay too rigid with, you know, follow completely in your parents' footsteps. But there's always a cyclical nature to everything. It's like, well, if, if they were religious, if they imparted anything unto you, you tend to want to come back to that at the end, you know, or at least in their aftermath, in their wake, or perhaps more toward the end of your life. You, you ponder the things that were once taught to you if you never lived by them. Perfectly. Well, I think it's also more to what John's saying, too. You almost want to ignore, in the face of facts, this mysticism that exists, this faith. Because there, everything has has a purpose or a direction. You're not just greeted with cold, hard facts that have an end and are incomplete. You can dive into that faith and just get swallowed whole by that and I just think it's, search in it. Well, I, because, because it, it pretends to to give answers then in 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 the wake of death specifically yeah. it has its greatest appeal because that's your only recourse yeah. I've, well, I've said this many times whenever we deal with this subject matter on the podcast specifically in uh in terms of religion there are no atheists in foxholes it's yeah. like well <laughs> if anything's going to get you out of this uh certainly random chance is not really that much to go off of in that particular environment so you might as well to go to something bigger well it, it sort of culminates with the whole idea Stevens wants somebody with him because humanity is a group of social creatures. That's what we are. It's inherent to our nature. Yeah, some people want to be alone. Some people prefer being alone. I like my alone time a lot, and that's not a joke. Nobody wants to die alone. Yeah. So even if you are, in fact, the only person in the middle of a desert dying of thirst or what have you, if you still have a deity to look to, to in that respect... You're not alone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's scary. I mean, death is inherently scary, but just the fear of the unknown, having someone or something you can latch onto that represents an understanding of what you don't understand is extremely powerful. 
and that's what this plead really is. There's there's anger because there's always anger and grief in this plead. There's exasperation because you get tired. Fear and sadness is very tiring, especially when you have to deal with it over a long period of time. But there's also just a need for someone to hold your hand. Yeah. Because there is an acknowledgement of the fact that, well, he realizes with the death of this loved one that he too will die. And it's it's hard. Nobody, especially when they're young, thinks they're ever going to die. Nobody does. Until they're greeted with the prospect of, yes, you are mortal. Whether it's through an illness that they, re- that they have growing up or receiving later on in life or through the loss of a loved one. That's when a lot of times people just go, I'm mortal too. Yeah, it's easier to think you're invincible when you're in high school, but when you lose somebody of age in high school too, or college, that really puts it in perspective. You go, oh wait, or, or even a grandparent. Right, yeah, sure. a lot of times, or a parent, or something like that. You can just say, yes, they had a great life. We said this earlier. Yes, at least they're no longer in pain. But then you have to realize, well, they were in a lot of pain, and now they're just not here anymore. This is that point where you realize, oh wait, I won't be here no more. We're all gonna die. <laughs> he made a song out of it. I and, might remix that. And in Fourth of July, we're all gonna die. It's less him saying it. It's more like he re- is 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 having his mother say it, or the loss of the loved one, whichever loved one he's choosing to represent there, saying one day we will die. Well, certainly on the here subject, he's realized it. Yeah, and certainly on the subject of of, of religion, uh, the next track seems to, to have sort of taken the next step. Uh, in this sort of struggle back to something. No shade in the shadow of the cross. This is more like the concept that, well, you know, there, there is no, there's no spot that, well, that God can't find you if you were at your wit's end. Well, that's clearly going to help you out somehow. I mean, you know, even if you're in a confessional booth, someone will hear you. If you contact a priest, someone will hear you. There's a little bit of hope there for sure. And it also sort of, I, I see I hear that in the in the beginning in the in the opening verse now I fell into your arms my only lover give out to give in I search for the counsel I lost that's flat out just you know pleading to something to someone higher drag me to hell in the valley of the damned like my mother give wings to a stone it's only the shadow of the cross I mean there's there's distinct hope here and there's also there's more beauty in this. I was initially like a little bit more, you know, this, on the musical front, it was kind of samey, but it was also a little more old-fashioned. It, it struck me as this, uh, like, medieval um, sound structure to it, if you were going to go in the direction. I mean, it, all of this is, is in a, a, a sense of folk, but this is more toward, like, a, a medieval renaissance feel in certain little phrases uh, of the guitar. Um, but melodically, specifically certain moments that he holds I slept on my back in the shade of the meadow lark and he holds that out like a champion get drowned to get laid I take one more hit when you depart and he does the same thing again I take that I'll drive that stake through the center of my heart holds that out and then finally the final line there's blood on that blade fuck me I'm falling apart my favorite line on the whole album Hmm. because he does that breaking the fourth wall thing that Steve says but the way he sings this it's almost like that part Fuck Me, I'm Falling Apart is not even supposed to be there. He's literally singing a line within the theme work of this song and then just can't take it as the person singing about the loss in that moment. Fuck me, I'm falling apart. 
that has so much weight to it, it redeemed the song for me. I still felt musically it did sound a little samey, but when you get to that moment after going through this whole song, hearing these lyrics and creating the structure and him saying that line, I'm like, oh, that's right. He's still a person. It's another one of his breaking the fourth wall moments. He pulls yeah. himself out of the track to just say that this the song is falling apart. Can I can I continue? Yeah. I mean, it's like there was hope here and then all of a sudden Nope. I mean, there's always that moment where you're dragged back down. But that moment when he's breaking the fourth wall is something that is really the only standoutish part for me. The rest of it was just extremely similar, extremely almost rehashed. I mean, the music is not really doing it for me on this song. It's very, true. very, very specifically, it's not doing it. It for comes me. down to that one line for me, and I think it's a yeah. lot of these songs. Sometimes it's all in, it's all wrapped up in a phrase, all wrapped up in in a certain melodic phrase, where others, other parts might might not give you the same impact. But it is a very subtle territory you're dealing with, especially with with respect to, to folk, because it, its whole premise is based on simplicity and and dealing with very specific subjects. And he has done pretty damn well with this on this album, as far as I'm concerned, such that I guess the, a little hole here toward the end where I'm just like, yeah, okay, we've kind of had this so far, and yet still I managed to get melodic lines that, that reach and stand out. I don't think there's been a track that didn't at least have that one melodic stroke that I think had a, had its um had its dose of brilliance. Well, I think if you're going to be samey, do it to the second, do it in the second to last track, because you know at that point at least you've been far enough from. Yeah, you're sold. Now you just provided great closer and you're out. Yeah. Speaking of great closers, we move on to track eleven, the final track on this album, "Blue Bucket of Gold." Um, and I mean, there are no happy endings with this, and that's really what this song is here to convey. Is even though he may find some closure. The reality is when dealing with death, there is no flat-out happy ending. It's how it's what you make of it and how you manage it. There were two parts for this song for me, though. The vocal part, the lyric-driven part, struck me very similarly to the previous track, as in I really wasn't getting too much of it. But between it many had of the, his it had vocal the one phrases, line again, though. It has, in this case, it's that raise your right hand, holds that out very beautifully. Um, and then uh, second after that, or raise your red flag. He, when he repeats that second line, he holds that just a, a I mean, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. Each and every time he, he, he returns to that refrain, you know, when I just, I, when I want you in my life. But except for that, there was a lot surrounding it that was just kind of, Okay, we're getting it again. But the main feature of this song, which drove me to it as, as saying it was a great piece, was the interludes and the spatial shaping he does between parts. And for the actual outro, for the actual finale of the song, his shaping, when he really wants to do something that's just sound, he does a beautiful job with it. It's like a it. synth warbling, and then over that, the vocals step in with a little more of like this ooh work. But it's... Uh... It was more about the, the the one line to me than that intro, because I feel like we've gotten that stuff um, before. But also, we didn't even mention the, the framework of this track, which is built on those piano chords. Just the slow, like, you know, one, two, three, four. Um, very steady, unchanging, unwavering. We've heard the piano as a, as, a, as a tool here before, but, and sure, it's the predictable outro uh, use, I guess, but it's still very appropriate, and I, 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 I didn't stop feeling him. 
at any point. Well, this song also, in its structure, it really gives way to a lost and wandering feeling, as if he's kind of just drifting away. He doesn't know where to go. And the whole outro instrumental, I mean, solidifies that. Steve makes a really good point that when the song goes into this instrumental second half, it gets more distorted, more floating, bleak, slow. But the thing that's really important is there are bits and sounds and soundscapes that are featured in other places of this album. And it really gives you a focus of no matter what you do and how you handle it, it will always come back to these several things. These different things are part of death and how you deal with it. Right. The layers of, of the outro all kind of comprise. They, they, at various times in the album, they've comprised various different aspects. You know, uh, the, the death tone, as we've put it, is like that moment just creeping in all of a sudden. You know, here you are going about your business and then suddenly you're just like, I could die tomorrow. You know, who knows? That could happen. And it's just like this thought of death that we all kind of walk through our daily lives with. We try not to let it consume us, but it just steps in, sometimes at very unwanted moments. And he captured that with a single tone earlier in, in the album. He's also done similar things with this sort of choir that rep represents a religious element. So as people, as people perceive, like, the five stages of, of, of grief, you know, obviously ending as we would have it with acceptance... I don't know if that's necessarily it here. I don't think you really li live with acceptance. That's not often how it turns out. Instead, you live with a combination of all of those things at once, and that's the person that you become. Hence, why not combine all of those instruments that defined each and every element and then layer them together? Very, very expert, in my opinion. And the song is not a finale. It's not a a period on this statement. It just trails off. That ending of just fading out of bringing the different elements in and showing them as they kind of just soften and and sort of depress themselves is so immensely important for this album it's so perfect for an ending because there is no death i mean it doesn't sum summate with his actual death it doesn't summate with the main character you know meeting his end it's the main character moving on He's never going to be free of death, of the death he's experienced in other people, of the death of other relationships, of the grief that that brings. It touches you. It changes you. But because of this, it's not done and you're done. It's fade out. It's always going to color your eyes from now on. And yeah. that's beautiful. That's so perfect for how this album went. Also important to say about this fade out that I think reflects that is a lot of fade outs, 20 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, it kind of just fades. This fades out slowly over a minute to a minute yeah, and 15 seconds. It takes seconds. different it, elements and just drops them one at a time. As if, as if he's walking off into the distance slowly, dragging his feet, kind of just carrying this burden still and it, it really is it, it it really does paint a very specific picture of Sufjan Stevens or this lead character or both in this album um I guess I'll get started with our wrap-up here yeah um, I'm not going first so I mean there's <laughs> th this might be the most powerfully emotional album we've reviewed since the paper chase um, just in the sense that this is not a happy record at all. There are moments of joy. There are moments that you see the love that he has for his mother in a very bright light. But a lot of it is very dark, 
and very depressing because this was hard for him and as well it should be. We say in the past that sometimes when you overpersonalize an album, it can take away from it. But I don't think it does here. I think that this album really from start to finish is a very personal story that but that it inframed in a way that anyone can relate to. And when dealing with an emotional work, that is important. Um, that's very important when dealing with an emotional work. Um, that said, however, going into Sufjan Stevens expecting what Steve had mentioned and not getting it at all was a little disappointing in the fact that I expected something else. However, what we got was still incredibly powerful and incredibly intricate because he took something that could be very stripped down and boring and very, here's how I feel, but it's very forward and boring and simple. But it wasn't. It was simple, but he used those simple tools to create a very complex beauty. Um, it is not without its repetitiveness. You know, as we said earlier, track 10 did seem to wear a bit just because it was something we'd almost exactly heard. But that said, there was reason for it and it still did kind of redeem itself. This is by far not an album I could listen to anytime. I don't know if I could listen to it again. Maybe certain songs, but it would definitely be hard because this is painful. Immediately after listening to this album, all I could think of is of a single person very important to me and te being terrified of losing them tomorrow. And that's hard to deal with on a regular basis with as anxious of a person and paranoid of a person as I can be. But being forced into that emotional state so easily by this record because of how powerful it was, was absolutely terrifying. Um, it can easily be overlooked though. I think that's the one thing that we talked about is if you're not paying attention, you could miss this whole record. And that's a problem. I don't think that that's a fault to Sufjan because I don't think that it matters to what he was writing. However, it, I think that if you're not in the right frame of mind or even if you're not paying enough attention, you could miss this record completely. It could just wash right over you. And I have to give it a little bit of a deduction for that because we've said many times it should be the full package and it should be able to grab you somehow. And if you're not paying attention, you could miss the whole thing. It's hard to rate it against other stuff we've done, though, because this is kind of unlike anything we've done before because it's the first time we've gotten a true personal story that had such heavy, heavy impact for me. I would say this is the first time we got a true personal story that was really relatable. Yeah. And that was well done through and through, like not kind of beating around the bush here and there. It's just, you know, right up front what it's about. And then it's just his exploring each and every aspect of that yeah. um, very methodically. Yeah. I think I have to bring it down a little bit just because, like I said, it just, it you could completely miss this record. And there were a few, mo there was at least one moment where I felt myself still kind of wandering and or, and or wanting more. I don't know what that more was, but, but not much. Um, it's only 25.25 below my highest rated record this year. This is a 4.5 for me. Um, I can't rate it higher than that just because of certain factors, but it's one of the most emotional records on a whole and definitely is one of the most emotional albums we've heard all year for sure, easily. I think I'm going to expand upon the certain factors because I think what I know what some of them are. 
it's it's musically so stripped down and distilled that I think it kind of suffers for that fact. I mean, that might be one of the reasons why people will gloss over it. It's just, it's so acoustic. It's so amazingly acoustic and well-formed, well-phrased. But there's not much on the music that really is speaking moment by moment to me. Uh, as the emotional crux of the album. The long form of it, the melodies that he he weaves in and out of his vocals is just phenomenal and does a great job to speak to the theme and the arc and everything metaphorically and emotionally that's associated with this album. That, in that respect, it's a masterpiece. But I want more. There's so many parts where I can go, oh, that's great, and there's something going on there and it's emotionally gripping, but... I want something more musically, and I think that's my biggest critique. There's something musically that's just missing as a wow factor for it. It's it's a big, impactful story, but there's so few events in this story that are that wow factor that I can latch onto. A, a, a guitar solo, and I know a lot of that would actually detract from the album as a whole. That's my biggest problem, to really infuse a bunch of other instruments and flush out that that four or five part band going on here. You don't need a bass in this album. No way. You don't really need that touching most of it. But it could have done something. You don't need percussion, but it could have done something. It's, it's, do you add or do you subtract from it? And that's my main critique. I feel like at parts it really could have added to it. Most of it, really most of the album was just nearly perfectly formed. But there are parts where I'm just like, do something. Give, give me something else. Just give me something a little bit more. That and the fact that really I only rate towards the high fives when I feel like it's pushing the boundary. And that's the other thing. It's a great piece of art, but it's not anything new artistically. It's just a very beautiful expression of something I've already heard before. It's a near perfect expression of a folk grief album which is pretty common when you think about how folk loves to entwine emotions into it when you talk about sadness they do a great job and this is damn awesome but it's it's nothing new in that respect so i'm right on the same page with matt here it's a 4.5 it's it's just a beautiful great album that's i think kind of stuck with its heritage um i don't know I love my complexity in music and all that. And I think I'm pretty quick to judge albums that rely on what I would used to call, well, simple tricks, ditties, simple guitar riffs, things that, sure, they they provide the emotional punch through the simplest route. Um, That's generally how I perceive music. It doesn't diminish the genre. It just means that I think very often in in artists exuberance to get an emotional thought out um perhaps as fresh as possible they they took the easiest avenue which is well for our alone guitarist they picked up their guitar and they started writing something maybe you can get a song out in in 15 minutes if you're in the right zone i think many of these tracks really could have been written fairly quickly and i think i get the sense that they were or perhaps some, maybe some were, were written in certain intervals over the course of the last three years. We know she passed away in 2012. And, um, I mean, for a 2015 release, that seems like a fairly long time 
perhaps I could see some of the tracks at the end of this album being written with some kind of reflection in mind. Either way, I still see the, the, the core of the idea as being flushed out fairly quickly. But I think that it's also easy to, to look at that too simplistically. I think it's easy to kind of like pass that off as, ah, oh, well, it's, it's easy, it's, it's worthless, there's no artistic value. Or if there's artistic value, it's, it's, it's too thin to change um, the state of music. And the flat fact is, not everything is attempting to change the state of music. Everybody goes to music for different things. And I think this is the first album that I've really just been taken aback by how, by how invested and how empathetic I remain, despite the fact that it's not really... It's not really flashy in, in in any stretch. It takes its time with every idea. It takes its time with every phrase. Um, and then the heights that it reaches, which there are many on this album, even though there are heights that I don't really cite too often. Simple, melodic phrases. That's a, a, a line that I keep going back to throughout all of these songs. I think that it, there's a special talent to writing a very, very good melody that I think Lots of people just gloss over. You know, they write melodies that fit the whatever they're doing. They'll fit their lyrics, and then they'll focus on other things. They'll focus on their groove or their layers and their harmonies, and the melody will get lost on them. But Sufjan Stevens is a great melodicist. He's right up there with uh, a recent artist we reviewed, um, uh, the Decemberists. If perhaps he's a little bit harder to digest because he lacks that sort of overarching character uh, that the Decemberists have, have, have cured over the years. Um, it's really tough to rate this album because albums like these are so personal, they defy comparison. Every step of the way, he, he wants to make you empathize with his plight. It's like that ultimate goal of every artist. Like, well, please, someone else feel this with me. And with music, you have that power. Even if you don't know each other, you know, you'll, you really are connecting with people in ways that I don't think many other artistic mediums can make possible, a direct artist-to-fan relationship. And I think that's what this album really, really hones, that I think it, it competes with what it lacks in a very, very strong way. There are no, there's no track on this album, shockingly enough, that I find to be a filler track. The only things that you have, perhaps, is just hopes that, like, well, maybe he would have done this, ah, but that would have taken away from from the goal. Maybe he could have done this here. No, but that really would have taken from, away from the goal. I truly do mean that the thinner he gets on this album, I think the better it gets, the more I feel. Times, that could seem like the easy way out. Sometimes, that's just being in tune with your artistry, and I think that's the true success here. I think, and perhaps after sitting with it for a while, this may change, but I think this is a solid 4.75 for me. I think it's it's higher just because he tapped into something that very few artists uh, can manage. And to rate it lower than that, I don't know, might uh, really say that the, the, the overall art of this album fails in comparison to other things that I think we've rated in like the 4.6, 4.7 territory that did have filler tracks and that we know struggled in moments, even though they could really pack a punch in other moments. You know, they, they failed here and there, and there's just a fluidity here that I've, I, I rarely see. The, the lack of, of it not being a five really is, is just by virtue of maybe John's point. It, it, it won't change worlds. And also uh, Matt's point that I, I couldn't go back to this over and over and over. I, I think this is a special album for a special time. But used right, I think it's brilliant. I'm going to pull a Steve here. 
which he hasn't actually done in a very long time. I'm I'm actually changing my album level. I'm gonna give it a four six five. He's right. There's a lot more art here that props it up a lot higher than even what a four five would be. It, yeah, it, I I equate it almost similar to what we discussed with like the Kang Ding Ray thing. It's like, well, that really is an exercise in simplicity, also. But it just sometimes it's the art that gets me in the end. It's not the all overall. Right, all right. Then I guess I'm not I'm trying to persuade you. I'm not. No, I'm I mean, just, but you made, you're the emotional one. You should have been I'm like five point eight. You you make a good point. Well, see the reason. I, the, it's the, simply this. I I really I was. I was being true when I said I, I was in tears over, especially the first track here. There so has not I. been an album uh, this year that I really felt that. I th- times when I wanted to, but didn't. I think that the the biggest thing that's holding me back from giving it an even 4.75, though saying even 4.75 just sounds dumb, the reason that I can't give it that is because I did gloss over it the first couple times I listened to it. It was only until I sat with it more that I got that emotional part. And that's a real hindrance to an emotional album, is if you can gloss over it at all... You're missing something. Hmm. So for me, it's a 4.7. Okay. 4.65, There you go. Good argument, Steve. Not that you were trying, but good argument. You you convinced me. Moving on, I think it was only natural to talk about death a little more. I mean, that's what this whole record's been about. Um, We've all, all three of us here, have dealt with death. I'm sure plenty of our listeners have too, and it's never an easy thing to handle, no matter when it happens, how it happens. Um, But I think music is an integral part in coping, at least for me personally, and I'm sure these guys would agree. Some people write, as Sufjan does. He wrote a great album, birthed a great album out of something so tragic. For me, I listen to a lot of music to to cope with a lot of things. Um, it depends. If it's a person I knew personally, like a friend that I had lost when I was in uh, college, um, she was a big fan of The Used and Nine Snails. So I listened to a lot of that. I kind of buried myself in music that reminded me of her. And, you know, it's hard and it hurts, but you come out on the other side. Um, we've talked about depression before, and I've talked about how I bust through depression by making myself more depressed and breaking down and then building myself up. Yeah, but death is a specific kind of depression because in many ways it's the ultimate. Uh, there are people who can kind of like tune it out of existence uh, and walk through their lives just, you know, pretending like they're going to live forever. Um, and in many ways that's kind of the only way to live. But uh, every you have to at least, you know, address it when it comes because more than likely yes people around you will die it's just the odds are kind of stacked uh kind of stacked against it um i think that dealing with depression as we discussed that was back in uh, episode 132 when we were with uh painless parker and we discussed how you deal with depression through the use of music to try to bring you out of it or maybe dwell in it depending upon whether that's what you want to do but death very specific animal how do you what do you listen to if that's on your mind? Or do you listen to anything? Some people prefer the silence. Well, I mean, the big difference between your standard types of depression, and no depression is standard, I would never make that claim, but between just regular depression and dealing with a depression brought on by death is you can quantify so many other types of sadness in yeah, your life. Yeah, that's my point. You can say, well, I'm sick, I can understand that. I mean, we can explain so much with science and philosophy and psychology, but death is still the, quote, great unknowable. 
I we mean, all look for ways to like mend all those other things. You know, a a a well a uh, well-balanced person will always try to seek ways, I suppose, to get themselves out of almost any other rut. But death is not a rut. <laughs> when someone's in their grave, that's not a rut that they're, well, come on, man, <laughs> staring at the tombstone, you know, pick yourself up, get on, go. That's not how it works. Um, that's kind of something that us all, we're all kind of forced to combat that, that self, that animalistic instinct to survive and get out of things and be happy and and go mate do things eat you know all these positive things that are that comprise life and all of a sudden with this one aspect we're just expected to to say yep i i i relinquish i accept it i am humble let's have it and that's really the only way to take it uh because any other way would be rather self-destructive my it's also or wait or rather a waste of time. I mean it's it's where the five stages of grief really stem from is dealing with death. And I mean some of those stages you just can't deal with and it's not really until acceptance that you can truly move on. And that's where when I've had to deal with it I've I've actually started to turn to the art specifically reading and music because at that point, I'm, I want to start moving on. So what I'd like to do is actually revisit some of my favorite death scenes in Shakespeare. That's one thing I thoroughly love is delving into that. Because when an author like Shakespeare, for me, he has a du- a ba- uh, the ability to do the duality, to make death meaningless in his plays, yet make them so impactful you have to invent meaning around it. What I take from music, though, is specifically like when my grandfather passed. Um, he was a big Frankie Sinatra fan, so that's what I was listening to. I was I was connecting with him that way, and I wasn't a huge Sinatra fan then. I'm still not now, but you got to respect the guy. It's Frank Sinatra, and I was listening to music I never really listened to outside of me driving him around in in his truck, the sort of CDs he threw on. Because he wanted to listen to his music, and that's my poppy. He was one of those stubborn old guys. Um, but I, I dug out some of his favorites and was just blasting them for a little while, just just to like kind of remember him and get insight into what he was. Because well, it, it it was hard those last few years because of what was going on, and that was my final way of mourning of of really trying to move on at that point. I think that music as a tool is very powerful and I don't want to really repeat too much of what we did talk about in the Painless episode but I think it's important to acknowledge that regardless of what you're going through you're not the only one going through it and that's what I think music replicates really well music replicates camaraderie uh, yeah this relationship the way you can relate to someone else like that's why we were able to relate to this album this week is because there's plenty of stuff he sang about that we all have felt and i think that's important to always acknowledge in the pantheon of music well this album is a is a peculiar beast because it's again it's a sort of like straight from the horse's mouth this is his feelings and he's a songwriter so how does he uh deal with it he writes um well, for anyone that's not a songwriter, not composer, well, you don't have that outlet. But then a lot of people have the other uh, thing, which is just writing. Just, you know, sit down, uh, break out a notebook, and just write down your feelings. Sounds a little cliched, but that's actually very, very healthy. It's just, it, it can sometimes, like, 
when you see it outlined on paper, then all of a sudden that that brings to life what you would otherwise maybe not reach if you were just caught in this in this loop in your head. Uh, you have the ability to kind of like reason it out uh, as, as you would like in a term paper. It seems almost silly, like how can you compress that thing into something logical? But lots of people can. Very often we're just our 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 brains are caught in cycles. When we when we stop and we take heed of certain things through the use of writing, we have the ability to get out. And then other. Uh, other people do that through the use of just listening and absorbing art. Uh, as you said, John, you just, you know, you listen to something. And that is really what I want to discuss is the is type, types of genres, I think, that you that you might use. There are certain people, for instance, that would advocate <laughs> listening to something extremely positive. You know, well, don't dwell. But there's also a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, benefit to dwelling. It's like the kind of if you get it out all in one shot, then maybe you won't have to deal with it later. Otherwise, you're dealing with repression. But how long can that go on before that becomes uh, a, a problem? You just, you know, which way do you want to go with it? It's, it's everyone has their different cutoff point. Well, you have to, you have to confront grief, and this a lot of psychologists, if not most, if not all, will say you have to confront it. So that's when I like to pull out... And that's out. a vague term, because what does that mean for you? For right. me, it's, it's, it's bringing out the a lot of the more depressing line of classic rock, which there's quite a bit of it that I thoroughly love to delve into at any point, but they really do a great job of putting me within a framework. It's also one of my, my favorite times to break out the punk. Gotta love that punk, because it's angry and that's it right. can mosh, be... Mosh your grief away. Well, anger is a great way... And a terrible way to deal with grief, because when you get angry because of grief, it's one thing. But when you get angry at the grief, it's it's a way to focus against it, to really use it to push, it. To, well, yeah. to push it away, to actually maybe turn it into an ulcer that you're going to have in 20 years, but at the same time to to push it out of your mind. Well, that would be repression, but maybe that you know that's something as I kind of tried to address also sometimes that really is the only goal what well, someone might argue that all forms of grief is really just if you're going to live your life then maybe you should just repress it because that's all you're going to end up doing and that's kind of what this album was sort of aiming at is just like well if you can push it aside only so much but it, it manifests it becomes a part of you no matter what um it's a mixed bag i think what john's saying though and the most important message though regardless of the genre of music you listen to or what music you listen to, or if you listen to music at all, you do have to address it. How you address it, as Steve said, is different from person to person. But you can find that focus. And as we said... I might put on some classical music and just kind of like whitewash it with a kind of peaceful uh, soundscape. I think, though, ultimately, like the way we ended our discussion on the episode about depression here as well... It can never hurt to talk to somebody, too. Odds are you know someone who's dealt with death. Several people, maybe. Reach out. Reach out to an artist you like on Twitter. Tell them that you are experiencing this grief. They might respond and help you through it, too. You never know. Just reach out to somebody because you shouldn't go through grief alone, either. If you want to, you can, but there's always there. there are always people to help you if you want it. And also as an inspiration to uh, any other budding artists out there, you know, use what is at your disposal. R the old phrase, right from life. You know, that's that's one of the most important things. If you can tap into that, as, as today's artist was able to, uh, in a really, really close, honest way, without kind of straying from, from, from the thought, then uh, 
I, I think you, your chances of, of making it, or at least connecting with one other person, if making it is just playing in your local coffee shop and you connect with just one person there, which is probably one of the best, you know, uh, fan-to-artist <coughs> forums, then go for it. I think this is a good point to direct Steve towards our spam of the week. <laughs> See if this is going to be depressing spam. That'd be fitting. But then they would then they would know too much. They would know too much. You really make it appear really easy together with your presentation, but I find this matter to be actually one thing which I believe I might never understand. It seems too complex and extremely large for me. I am taking a look forward for your subsequent submit. I'll attempt to get the grasp of it. By torrent downloader. Which which torrent downloader? No, just generic torrent downloader. Because, like, Reactor Torrents and, and other various websites that I don't want to mention because I don't want to get flagged by anybody. Uh, I mean, they some of them are really, really good, but then you get your ISO hunts, which really suck. They used to be good. Yeah, it used to be good, time, but it's like, all sponsored like now. Like, 08 to 10? Like, oh, great. It's ridiculous. Not that anyone here on this podcast encourages torrenting, because we don't, because it's illegal. No, there's a ton of stuff you can legally torrent. I know. That's true. All right? That is true. There's a ton uh, of stuff you can legally torrent. He found a loophole. Um, the next album we're doing is my pick, um, and I'm actually excited about this, because Steve at length has mentioned this artist before, has fallen in and out of love with this artist, and it is Mr. Ben Gibbard and the rest of his band, okay. Death Cab for Cutie. Okay. I was gonna tell Mo- you mostly that never in love, but right. I, but I I admit it's all for like personal reasons. It's Death Cab. They're kind of ever present. They're yeah, they're they're everywhere, you especially in New York. So they have exactly. a brand new record called Kitsugi. Um, it Kintsugi. Kintsugi, and it just came out um, not too long ago. Yeah. And so I've been hearing about it. I had heard the single months ago. I was going to suggest it to you. This is earlier. his solo project? No, this is Death Cab for Cutie. Oh, it is Death Cab. Oh, I, I just said, to say. I Death said Cab. Ben Gibbard and the rest of his band, Death Cab for Cutie. Oh, gotcha. If you, when you listen back, you'll hear it. I said that. Fair enough. I said, He'll be listening back. He edits us. It's true. Yes. yes. Hey, you chastised me for, for promoting the front, man, the front man, or in that case, front woman, um, unwarrantedly when there's a whole band there. Yes. So just. Use the use the band name. <laughs> no, but, I'm not gonna lie though. I did that, to Colin. I was all, I was all like Colin, Colin, yeah. Colin, Colin. Colin was um, but anyway, so yeah, so that's their new record, and uh, I'm excited to do it because I am a fan of Death Cab. Um, although I still feel like their best uh, album was Transatlanticism, which was a while ago. But the subsequent <laughs> albums have been pretty good, and I like the single from this track, so I'm excited to hear the rest of the record. Black Sun. Uh, Black Sun is the single. Yes. Yeah, it's I'm, pretty good. I'm fearful because. Speaking, you you got me for the word feels earlier, yeah. and, and everyone I know that swoons over Death Cab for Cuties gets uh, the feels. They get their feels from that. I don't that. swoon over them, but I, like I get I get the feels. Yeah, okay. they got some. Feels Follow you into the dark is a death. Well, song maybe for that's once really I'll be the. Uh, one it's of pretty good. Ones. Yeah, it's really good. Maybe I'll be the naysayer. Who knows? We'll see. This time I bought into the feels. Maybe I'll repel them. Well, we'll I don't see. know. I don't know. Anyway, where my feels are gonna go? That's ne- that's the next album. So uh, we'll word. take care of that next time. And remember, folks, as always, music is life. And life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. 
And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.